We continue in our fall campaign called Be the Church. Remember that we uh, realize that God wants to be, uh, us to be a healthy, unified church that's firing on all cylinders. That is uh, the engine that powers the church is working well so that we can accomplish the mission of God. Because the church was created on purpose for a purpose by God. And the purpose is to accomplish the mission of God. And so we want to make sure that our engine's working right. And, uh, and the, so we're looking at the six cylinders. And this week we look at the, at the first cylinder, which is the cylinder called worship. Worship or affection. Um, here's our statement of purpose. We want to say this together. All right, in just a minute, but let me read it. We radically commit to gather and holding nothing back. We will focus our affection on the only one true worthy God. Can you say that with me? Let's say it together. Read it from the screen. We radically commit to gather and holding nothing back, we will focus our affection on the only one true worthy God. Our verses that are key to us uh, uh, for this cylinder are Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In order for this worship cylinder to be firing correctly, we have to have a commitment to gathering. And that commitment gets, uh, it's under pressure. And there's, there's things that pull us away from that commitment. And guess what? We're in good company because the early church had pressures as well. And so we've got to reassert ourselves to that commitment. That's why it's a command here in the Bible. And then Mark 12.30 gives us uh, the affection uh, aspect of this uh, worship cylinder. And that is Jesus answering the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We're all in with an affection towards God. You've maybe heard it said that balance is the key to life. Balance, right? Keep everything in balance. Don't get too heavily swayed in any direction and you'll keep your life on the road and between the lines and you won't go in the ditch, right? But the truth is that Jesus calls us to a life that is focused on God. Not a life that's balanced, but a life that's focused, that's all in for him. And when we do that, what we're taught is that the rest of our lives will be in balance. That if we keep ourselves focused on God, all of our energy, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, affection, all of the love that we have aimed at God, that he will then ensure that the rest of our life is in balance. And so it's a different view of life. And a lot of people think to themselves, don't go too crazy in on that Jesus stuff. Don't go too crazy in on, on what God's doing or else you'll, you'll become one of those Jesus freaks, one of those crazy uh, people that, that nobody can really relate to. Uh, but the truth is that that's where life's found. And when we hold back from God, when we categorize our, uh, categorize our life into our, uh, into our church box and our work box and we're different people in all these places, then life gets out of balance. But if we'll focus ourselves on Jesus, then we'll find that everything else is in the right perspective. And so today we're going to look at uh, Matthew 15, if you have your Bible and want to turn there. It's where we're going to be this morning, looking at an interaction Jesus had with some of the religious leaders and how he taught the people to handle this issue of worship, to make sure that their lives were really aligned correctly. And we're going to see him deal with an issue that the religious leaders of the day had when it comes to following God. Your life will be consumed 
by the focus of your energy. I want to urge you to make sure that the focus of your energy is on God. How important is worship to our church? How important is it to the engine that powers the church? Um, Ken Bear, our worship director, said this week in our team meeting, I think it was absolutely correct, that worship is, is uh, where everything else flows from. And that if we have worship right, and we have our lives aligned with God and focused on him, and then as a church, the other cylinders really flow out of that. This church, Mitchell Berean, is really seen as a miracle by a lot of people through the years because of what God's done here. It's evidence that God can do uh, some amazing things through us when we make that decision to align ourselves with him and focus on him. And it really all begins with worship. And so this morning, three keys to ensuring that our church, uh, this cylinder of worship is firing and working correctly. The first key of having a powerful church is to have worship that's legit and not legalistic. Worship that's legit, not legalistic. Uh, some of you may not know what legit means. Uh, back in the 80s, there was an artist by the name of MC Hammer, and he had a song called Too Legit to Quit. Remember that? <laughs> that's a legit I'm talking about. Like being, being real, right? Being real, that, that our worship is real and authentic and not legalistic. Matthew 15, let's look at this chapter together. I want to read the first six verses, and we'll engage this story of Jesus and his interaction with some of these, uh, the religious leaders of his time. Starting in verse one, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to the place that Jesus was teaching. They came to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, Violate the direct commands of God. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Might not seem like it, but this is a very, very, very intense interaction. Jesus is taking off the gloves and he's having a throwdown knockout battle with the religious leaders of his day. See, the Pharisees were the uh, elite of the Jewish people. They were the ones who knew the law. They studied the law. They spent much of their childhood in a Christian school, if you will, being trained to be the pastors and leaders, not just of the religion, but of their whole community. They were the elite. And they come to Jesus going, why don't you follow what we do? Don't you respect our faith? Don't you respect our religion? Because Jesus is a teacher. And Jesus uh, throws off the gloves. He says, you guys, you've been handed this faith you're supposed to be advancing it and teaching it and ensuring that the life that is supposed to be given through the law of Moses to the people of God, that it's getting through to them. And he goes, you have taken it and you've twisted it and used it for your own gain. And he, he, he just lays them out and cuts them to the bone because the truth is they had turned a, a relationship with God. They had returned, a, they had turned a faith, 
again, into a legalistic religion. Legalism leads to religion and involves human manipulation of what, God's, of what God desires. Through, through legalism, man can manipulate the directives of God to accomplish what they want. In contrast, legit faith comes from a sincere desire to embrace the heart of God and what he desires. Joseph Stoll kind of condensed it this way, said in contrast to the two commands of Christ, that is to love God and love people, the Pharisees had developed a system of 613 laws, 365 negative commands, and 248 positive laws. By the time Christ came, it had produced a heartless, cold, and arrogant brand of righteousness. We've got to guard against legalism. Legalism leads to death and to actually a separation from God because it doesn't promote and encourage the heart of God. And we, by contrast, need to follow the Spirit and live life in the Spirit. And keys to living life in the Spirit are things like letting go of control. When we try to control our world, our life, the things that are going on around us, we are taking what God really rightfully carries. We're not surrendering and submitting to him. And so we've got to let go of control. We've got to consult God about everything that happens in our life. We have the opportunity to go to him and talk to him. The Bible says we can go boldly before the throne of grace. And so we need to seek God's direction for the decisions we make and for our day-to-day life. We need to walk through confession and repentance And we're going to talk about those at the end of the service and give an opportunity to spend some time in confession and repentance in our hearts before God because these are essential to us worshiping God and to keeping him first in our life. We've got to learn to embrace what God says is true as true. So much of our struggle with God and with our Christian life and to follow him is because we battle against what God says in our hearts. The second key to having a powerful church is to move our worship from lip service to sincere heart service. Matthew 15, continuing in our interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees in verse 7, he says, You hypocrites. Isaiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. They had taken a faith which was meant to connect the people to God, to teach the people to walk with God, to be transformative in their character and nature, and they had converted it and warped it and twisted it into man-made rules. God had commanded them in the Ten Commandments to honor their father and mother, And the the rollout of that was they were to treat their parents with respect and care for them and even help provide for them. And they had found a way out of that by saying, oh no, the things that we would have given to you, uh, our parents, the things we would have given to you, we've committed those to God. And so they're thinking, oh, God's more important than our parents. And if we're doing it for God, then surely it's okay. And he says, you've just twisted and left what God had commanded you to do. And so you've, it's an abomination right, what you've begun to do with your lives. We've got to be careful as we live that we don't allow ourselves to manipulate the faith 
to take what God says and turn it into what our preferences are. And we have a tendency to do it. We can come to church even, or we can go through our lives and offer lip service to God. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, yes, I'm following him. And then in our lives, we do the opposite of what he commands, proving that we really aren't worshiping him. We're worshiping him in a way that gets us attention and looks good on us, but with our decisions and with our heart, we can end up far from God. And so we've got to protect against this. Little boy, after spending the day, uh, Sunday morning at church, he was on in front of his bed, on his knees, praying, uh, saying his bedtime prayers. And he said, God, we just had such a great time at church to get, it, today. It was wonderful. He said, uh, I just only wish you could have been there. <laughs> Listen, uh, lighthearted, but the truth is we can do that. We can find ourselves in a place where we're having a great time together, but have we invited God to be here? Are we really worshiping him as we interact together? It's something that we need to check and to keep in balance Remember, Jesus says in this uh, command, the greatest commandment is to love God, to point our affection at God. He says, love God with all your heart. Our heart is the seat of our emotion. And I know some of us don't think we're as emotional as others, and I get all that, but the truth is we're all emotional, and we have emotion. And Eugene Peterson says worship isn't evoking feelings towards God, but it is through the act of worship developing feelings for God. Are you loving God with your emotion? Love God with all your soul. This is our psyche, our personality. Unfortunately, sometimes we use our personality as an excuse not to do what we should do. Well, that's just, a, that's just the way I am, right? That's just my personality. And yet we're supposed to love God with all of our personality. Myers-Briggs would teach us uh, uh, that we have a healthy way in which our personality uh, we live out. And then there's a dark side when we're not healthy. And the truth is that we all have a personality, aspects of who we are, the way we think. And God's made us that way. Are we loving him with all that we are? Are we surrendering our personality even to him? Love God with all your mind our thoughts? Are you ensuring that your, your mind, the way you think, has been surrendered to God, that you're loving God with all of your intellect? Philippians 4.8 says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. And what is true is based on what God says is true. Fix your thoughts. That means direct your thinking on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and love God with all your strength, the energy with which you live. Getting up every morning and pursuing life requires energy. It requires a drive, a passion, right? Love God with all of your strength. The strength with which you live with which you pursue the things that you care about and love, whether it's uh, providing for your family, whether it's your career, whether it's uh, what you enjoy in your recreational time, whatever it is that you pursue, love God with all your strength. And so we're encouraged by Jesus to focus the entirety of our lives on God and to love him with every fiber of our being. The third key of having a powerful church is to realize that who we worship will determine who we become. 
The object of your worship is what affects and controls and dictates who it is you become. You will look like the person or the thing that you worship over time. In Matthew 15, continuing in our story, Jesus then called the crowd to come and hear. He was done with his interaction with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he calls the people that had come to learn. He says, come here, listen to this. He said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. The religious leaders were saying, hey, wash your hands in a ceremonial way so that what you eat then is clean and you're not defiled by what you're eating. This was the the nature of the religion, the Jewish religion. And Jesus goes, listen, they've got it backwards. You're not defiled by what you eat, but instead you're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus said, oh no, I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, he said, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They're blind guides leading the blind. And if if one blind person guides another, guess what? They will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. How does this work? This is all we've known. You're switching things up on us. What does it mean? Verse 16, don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak, they come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. The truth is that what comes out of our hearts reflects where we're at. And this is the problem that we have. What I say is the real issue. It it really reveals the condition of my heart. How do I talk about other people? How How am I talking about things, right? Am I slandering others? Am I, do I find myself in this mode of, of tearing others down? Jesus goes, no, no, th- this is your problem. You're worried about what you're eating. Now, kids, you still got to wash your hands before you eat. Do what mom says. But, but listen, that's not going to spiritually affect you. What spiritually affects you is where your heart's at. And that's why we're called to love God with everything we are. Because the object of our worship is going to dictate who we become. And God is perfect and pure. His character is right and we need him in our lives and we, we need to stay focused on him so that we can cut out the things that don't honor him and don't reflect what he's trying to create in us and what he's calling us to do. Our struggles with obedience come because our hearts aren't right and we're not focused with our entire lives on him. And so this morning as we end our service, I wanna call you to just a few moments uh, of confession and repentance because for me, it's the only way I get my heart right. Uh, I can try to do the right thing and I can get, go through life and I'm focused on doing good, okay? But the truth is that things creep into my life and they get in front of my relationship with God. And pretty soon I'm not worshiping God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm worshiping the things I care about. There are things that distract and come in between me and God. And so the only thing I know, what the Bible's created in us, what the scriptures teach is confession. And confession is simply agreeing with God. 
Sometimes we hear, oh, that's a, that's a sin. You shouldn't do that. We read in the Bible, well, that's wrong. And we go, nah, it's not. Our first reaction is to want to argue <laughs> and defend our behavior. And confession is to simply put that down and to humbly come before God and say, you know what, God, if you say it's wrong, then it's wrong. And if you say I should be doing it and I'm not doing it, then that's sin. And confession is simply agreeing with God and finally come to that place where I'm not arguing with him and wrestling with him in my pride. And so we need to confess our sin. You don't need to go to a pastor or priest or anyone else. You can go directly to God. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father. The, the Holy Spirit carries our prayers to God. And we can talk to him. You need to talk to God. And you need to connect with the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. If you put your faith and trust in him, then God is in you. And you need to talk to him and confess. This is, should be a daily thing. Because we wrestle with sin on a daily basis. And then repentance is the next piece. And repentance isn't feeling bad. It's not feeling bad and remorseful for the things we've done. That's great, and sin should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to a place of remorse. But it is re real repentance is to turn from sin. It's to turn away and to go in the other direction. And so as I recognize I've been walking away from God towards other things, to repent means to stop and turn around and go back towards God. And I'm telling you, as a church, this is what matters. It's the heart of what matters. Are we walking in a right relationship with God? Are we dealing with the things that become distractions? It's not a matter of when or if, it's a matter of when. And so confessions and repentance is what purifies us, it cleans us, so that we don't walk with that sin and the weight of it, so that we can walk in freedom and we can follow the Spirit and grow in our relationship with God. And so I wanna invite you just for the next few moments to contemplate and allow God to speak into your life. It might be uncomfortable, that's okay. It is uncomfortable, but it's needed. And so allow God to speak into your heart. Where are you at? Have you allowed something to get in front of God in your life? You're not loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just confess that to God. And then repentance doesn't really happen in this room, it happens as you leave and you make a decision to do things different to live in obedience to God. And I just want to call us as a church, we need to walk in this place. We need to walk in a right relationship with God so that God can and will use us then to do the work of his church and it'll be powerful, it'll be amazing. But it starts here. And so if you need to come up to the front and kneel in front of the, the stage here and talk to God, do that. Come up. If you uh, just need to sit in your seat quietly, then do that. But I just urge you um, to do business with God. God, would you speak into our hearts? We have a tendency to drift away, to lose focus. And so I pray in this moment, you would help bring us back to you. Bring us back to the heart of worship, which is reflected by lives surrendered to you.